Hello and welcome to the 19th of September edition of Worcester Talking News. Brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team for this week's edition comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle and Sue Childs on copying and admin, and our readers today are Catherine, Phil and Laura. Hello. Jane can't be with us this week, so Laura is subbing for us. She's been pulled off the bench. I would like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, etc., the headline stories, general news stories, some sport, thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, the birthdays, and finally the obituaries. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. Please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you'll only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you won't receive any further recordings. But if you're unwell or have a problem, please just ring us and leave a message. All our recordings are now available as podcasts via the Worcester Talking News website. And don't forget, we have a very large library of books on uh, CD and cassette. (laughs) So if you would like to be sent a list of those or um, have any other information about it, just put in a note in your wallet. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Phil is going to supply. Indeed, I will. Telephone numbers as follows. Police Non-Emergency 101, Crime Stoppers 0800 555 Worcester Hub for Council Matters 01905 765 765. And for Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, 01905 611 427. Malvern Theatres are 01684892277 and the Samaritans, which is now a free phone number, is 116123. And finally, here at Colin Chance House, 01905767766. Thank you, Phil. And I have a short list of some things that are going on in the forthcoming week. On Thursday, the 26th of September, you can enjoy a performance of Alice, Wonderland Through the Looking Glass. This is on at the Swan Theatre in Worcester. It's described as a must-see show for all the family. And this performance is an alternative take on the original Alice in Wonderland. It features exceptional dancers, puppetry, acrobatics and much more. It's a 7.30pm start, £13.50 tickets, box office number 611427. 
If you're into your fruit and veg, you might want to head down to uh, the Three Counties show this coming weekend. That's the 28th, 29th of September. The Malvern Autumn Festival is taking place and this is celebrating the Great British Harvest. There's an apple and pear auction on the Sunday afternoon and it's all about your veg and fruit. Staying in Malvern but moving to the theatre from September the 24th to the 28th, you can enjoy a new stage adaptation of Charlotte Bronte's novel Jane Eyre. This is part of an eight-month tour of the UK and beyond, and the performance includes live music specially written for the production. Box office there at Malvern is 01684892277. Following on from Jane Eyre, still at Malvern Theatre, from Monday the 30th of September until Saturday the 5th of October, it's a production of Nigel Slater's Toast. This play vividly recreates the cook Nigel Slater's childhood through the tastes and smells he shares with his mother, culminating in the young Nigel's escape to London. Closer to home on Saturday the 28th of September, you can enjoy a live choir performance at the Royal Porcelain Works from the Choir Voices Unlimited. This is a lunchtime show and it starts at half past 12 and is free. And finally, also on Saturday the 28th, head down to the Swan Theatre for the biggest celebration of Motown music. Detroit Magic will propel you through two hours of the greatest Motown and Northern Soul hits of all time. The show starts at half past seven, tickets are £20, and the box office number there is, again, 611427. So that's the what's on. We'll now start with the news and Catherine has the headline stories for the week. Yes. OK, so here are the headlines. On Friday, September the 13th, the headline was Elvis Vickers Prescription Drugs Hell. Saturday, September the 14th, Help Us Save Oscar. Monday, 16th, My Life at the Hands of Abusive X. Tuesday, the 17th, Paedophile served as a children's charity trustee. Wednesday the 18th, Animal Porn Shame of Ex-Fans Club Chief. Thursday the 19th, Forced to Use a Taxi. And would you like to start with the first story of the day? Right, OK. So this is last Friday's story, Elvis Vickers' Prescription Drugs Hell. And it starts with a... a Subtitle, I battled depression for years, admits man who was hooked on medication. A former vicar and Elvis impersonator has told his story of being hooked on prescription antidepressants. Andy Kelso, aged 71, who's also a former chaplain of the Worcester Warriors, said he hopes that by telling his story, more will be done to raise awareness of the issue. He spoke as it was revealed in South Worcestershire, 42,730 people received a prescription for antidepressants in the year 2017 to 18. That is 17% of the adult population. Mr. Kelso spent 25 years as a vicar in the county, and it was during his time as vicar in Redditch that he had what he describes as a breakdown. He was diagnosed with an underactive thyroid, irritable bowel syndrome and a hiatus hernia and was put on citalopram and signed off work for three months. He said, 
It probably should have been longer, but I dragged myself back and my doses of citalopram got bigger in order to survive. I struggled on over the years, but in 2009 I was forced to take early retirement. I wasn't told at the time that people are only supposed to be on citalopram for a couple of weeks or months. I ended up on it for nearly 15 years. The worst side effects came in 2019 when Mr. Kelso decided to get off the drug, which he says he'd become hooked on. He said, This summer I realised that the citalopram just weren't working anymore. I'd been on them for 15 years, and so I went back to the doctor. I was told to come off citalopram, which was no longer recommended, and to go on a low dose of sertraline. They, they made me feel worse. So after a few weeks, I returned and said I was just going to come off everything. As a result of trying to come off the drug, Mr. Kelzer experiences symptoms, including electrical shock-type feelings in the head, headaches, irritability and mood swings, fatigue and suicidal thoughts. Mr. Kelzer, who now lives in Throckmorton near Pershaw, hopes that by sharing his experience, more action will be taken to help people who are addicted to prescription drugs. He said, I really hope that other people might wake up to this issue, particularly in the church, because people often put on a front while they suffer. One of the hardest things over the years has been the feeling of failing by having to be on citalopram. As a Christian leader, I felt I shouldn't be on these drugs if my faith was strong enough. I battled depression for years before going on to citalopram, and in those days very little was understood about it. As part of his recovery, Mr. Kelzer became an Elvis impersonator, touring with his show Rev Elvis, in which he sang some of Elvis' gospel songs and gave talks about the singer's spiritual life. One such show took him to the peace line between the Catholic and Protestant areas of Belfast. He performed as Rev Elvis until this year, saying... It's a rather unusual career move, but I was praying hard for a long time to find some direction in life. And one day, while I was out walking the dog, I felt a really clear instruction saying, take Elvis into the church. I stopped, the dog stopped, I wasn't sure. But after speaking to people, they all said, if it is from God, it will work, and if not, it won't. In addition to his work as Rev Elvis, Mr. Kelzer was also chaplain to the Worcester Warriors team, a role which involved being a sounding board for players who were struggling and writing a column in the weekly match programmes. He said, I really enjoyed the job and I found that players were more able to open up to me than they were to their colleagues or coaches. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Saturday's headline was Help Us Save Oscar, Parents' Desperate Fundraising Plea After His Leukaemia Returned. The parents of a schoolboy with cancer have made a desperate appeal for help to save his life, and they say that time is running out. Olivia Saxelby and Jamie Lee were left devastated after discovering their five-year-old son Oscar Saxelby Lee's leukaemia had returned, despite his undergoing a bone marrow transplant. Now they say their last hope is to raise £500,000 to pay for treatment they hope will save his life, which is currently not available on the NHS. Today, the Worcester News is backing the campaign to support the St John's family. Olivia, 23, has made a direct appeal to Worcester News readers for help, saying simply, we need you. She said, we received the devastating news that Oscar's chances of cure are very slim since he has recently relapsed post his stem cell transplant. 
Obviously, relapsing with any disease minimises your options, but because Oscar's aggressive disease is back only three months post-bone marrow transplant, he is at even higher risk. T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia is a very tough disease to tackle, but there are cases where a second transplant and a new trial called CART have worked. With Oscar remaining unbelievably strong and with much fight left in him, we have to try everything and anything to save him. The NHS sadly will not fund the CART trial in Singapore, nor will they fund a second transplant unless he is post 12 months of the first. This is why we need you. We need everyone's support and kindness to get him through the next stage of treatment. We really are on a tight schedule, a schedule no child should be on. Please help us reach our target. Olivia added that, despite the illness that has kept him in hospital for nearly 10 months, Oscar remains a real fighter. She said, Oscar is a true smiler. Never is there a day he doesn't show his little dimples. No matter how hard his battle has become, he always shines the light for you all. A cheeky, friendly little boy with so much love to give. Olivia and Jamie are being supported by the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust and any money not used to help Oscar with his treatment will be donated to the charity. Jennifer Kelly of the charity said, The Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust is honoured to be able to help and support Oscar and his family in this small way. Oscar's fund will be kept separate to our general charity fund, so the remainder of our work will be continuing in the same way. Oscar, Olivia and Jamie are the most amazing family and I truly hope we can get behind them to help Oscar get the treatment that he so desperately needs. Oscar's parents first appealed for help to find Oscar a bone marrow donor after he was diagnosed with leukaemia last December. In March, nearly 5,000 people turned up at his school, Pitmaston Primary, to sign up to the stem cell donor register to help find his match. He subsequently underwent the transplant in June, along with gruelling chemotherapy and full-body radiotherapy. Then in a box down at the bottom, it says, How can you help? Text 5OSCAR5, that's capital letters, to 70085 to donate £5. This costs £5, plus the cost of a standard rate message. Or take or text 5OSCAR10, to 70085 to donate £10. This costs £10 plus a standard rate message. Or text OSCAR20 to 70085 to donate £20. You can also donate by visiting, and this is a very long address, https uk.virginmoneygiving.com slash team slash hand in hand for Oscar. Thank you, Phil. Monday's headline read, My life at the hands of abusive ex. The victim of horrific domestic abuse has bravely spoken out about the night her former boyfriend nearly drove into the River Severn and killed her. Bethany Curtis said she suffered for years from the controlling and abusive behaviour of her ex, Aaron Keynes, who was jailed for ABH on Tuesday. Miss Curtis has now chosen to tell her story to warn others in abusive relationships and encourage them to get help. The 24-year-old said the four years of abuse culminated in the worst night of her life in February 2017, which left Miss Curtis, who now lives in Worcester with the pair's daughter, in the worst pain she has ever felt. 
I had been so excited to go out for my birthday, he never allowed me to go out, Miss Curtis said. We started at the Red Lion in Powick and went on to Worcester City Centre with friends. The night ended at Velvet Nightclub. I said, let's go downstairs and dance. He didn't like that. He pulled me in and said, you will do what I say, go where I go. He pulled me off the dance floor, threw me onto a sofa and said he didn't want to be with me anymore. But later he came back up to me saying he was sorry and I forgave him. He was clever, manipulative. Aaron always had a way of making me feel sorry for him. Miss Curtis said at the end of the night the pair got a taxi back to their Malvern home and he got the driver to stop them at the Red Lion, where his car was. He pushed me in. He was driving and was all over the road, she said. I was petrified. I told him to slow down. He clipped bollards, was swerving around. He was shouting, hurling abuse at me. He stopped at a bus stop and started punching me. I put my hands up, but he kept going and going and going. Miss Curtis said after driving off again, they stopped when she tried to get out the car. He knocked me out, she said. I can't remember anything until I woke up, and I didn't know where we were. I was in the footwell. He was slumped, his head on the steering wheel. Miss Curtis said when Keynes woke up, he straight away punched her on the nose, which exploded, going all over him and me, before she managed to get out the car. I was a mess. It was a February morning, pitch black. It had been snowing. It was freezing. I was just lying there. He got back in the car and was driving up and down the road, looking at me. He stopped, dragged me back up and into the car. I couldn't move. I have never felt like pain, pain like it. He said he didn't want to split up. He was sorry. I said, look at me. I can't go back with you. I ended it, the relationship, in the car. But he said, if I can't have you, then nobody else can. I'm going to put us in the river. Miss Curtis said Keynes then took a turning, heading straight for the river. He started speeding up, she said. At that point, I managed to grab the steering wheel and steer into a gate 50 yards from the river. We got out and I just walked for two miles, no shoes, all the way to Mum's, who is a paramedic. I collapsed on her doorstep covered in blood. Keynes, 29, of Wilds Lane, Worcester, was sentenced to two years in prison and given a restraining order following a trial at Worcester Crown Court. Miss Curtis said it was a relief he was now in prison, having rebuilt her life since Keynes was arrested. After the four-and-a-half-year relationship ended, Miss Curtis said she was not looking to get into another one, as she felt she could not trust men. But after meeting her new partner, Scott Allen, she has made a fresh start in Worcester. I have post-traumatic stress disorder, Miss Curtis said. What happened, it will always be there, but I'm going to live my life. Miss Curtis said she wants to make sure women walk away from abusive relationships and not go through what she did. Don't take them back, Miss Curtis added. I want people to know there is help. Go to the doctors. I hadn't heard of women's aid before all this. More people need to know about them. And the headline for Tuesday, September the 17th. Paedophile served as a children's charity trustee. A pensioner who sexually assaulted a young girl was allowed to serve as a trustee for three charities, including a children's foundation, the Worcester News can reveal. Edward Roberts, who is understood to live in Grafton Flyford near Worcester, has also been using the titles of CBE and Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, FRSA, despite being stripped of those honours. In 2012, aged 72, Roberts was jailed for two years after he was found guilty of two counts of indecency with a child and two counts of indecent assault in 2012, following a seven-day trial. 
A jury heard the abuse started when the victim was just 12 years old, with the offences happening more than 30 years ago. Sentencing him at the time, Judge Joanna Coots QC told him, the abuse was regular and whenever you saw her you took your opportunity. She made clear in her evidence she adored you and the attention you gave her and didn't believe she was being abused, but abuse it was. You took advantage of that young girl's vulnerability. She's been affected throughout her life by what you did. The Worcester News understands that Roberts, a former CBI West Midlands Regional Chairman, served on the board of the charities for two decades, including during his time in prison and since his release. Last Friday, the Charity Commission website listed Roberts as a trustee for Grafton Flyford Relief in Need, the Sir John Grafton Charity and the Grafton and Stonehall Education Foundation, which is described as providing educational support for local children and schools they attend. However, he was removed from the list of trustees for each charity over the weekend, following a complaint made two weeks ago, the Worcester News understands. The Charity Commission's rules state there are rules that might stop someone from being a charity trustee or holding some positions at a charity. Disclosure and barring service, that's DBS rules, which include who is eligible to work or volunteer with children. A spokesman for the three charities, which are all based at the same address in Grafton Flyford, said the trustees were unaware of the change of the Charity Commission's rules regarding trustee members. As it has now been recognised, Mr Roberts has been removed from the boards of trustees. He never notified us that he was stripped of the CBE or the RF, sorry, the FRSA. He was probably unaware of the significance of this. Although the spokesman claimed the trustee rules only changed recently, the Charity Commission updated them in May 2018, according to its website. Worcester News attempted to contact Roberts for a comment, but could not reach him. An RSA spokesman said, Edward Roberts is not a fellow of the RSA and as such is not entitled to use the distinction, distinction FRSA. We are always grateful for media and members of the public bringing suspected misuse of the title to our attention. Fellowship of the RSA is granted on the basis of shared values and we reserve the right to remove this following any allegations of wrongdoing which conflicts with these values. A Cabinet Office spokesman said it had been made aware Mr Roberts was wrongly using the CBE title as he had been stripped of the honour following his conviction. Roberts, who was awarded the CBE in 1991 for services to industry, is the founding chairman of the National Training and Enterprise Council, was previously chairman and chief executive for county firm Peterson Spring UK, worked for city recruitment agency Perton and was also treasurer of St John and the Baptist Church in Grafton Flyford. The Charity Commission did not respond to our request for a comment before our deadline. Right. <clears throat> now, the story for Wednesday, September the 18th, contains material that may offend. You may wish to skip to the next headline. Animal porn shame of ex-fans club chief. A lonely former chairman of a Worcester City FC supporters group had hundreds of disgusting animal porn images on his mobile phone. Philip Gardner admitted possession of 208 extreme pornographic images, which all concerned bestiality, 
and was sentenced at Worcester Crown Court on Monday, with the judge describing the case as a humiliation. Amanda O'Mara, prosecuting, said Gardner, who's 55, had sent a 28-second movie involving a dog and an adult female to a man in Wales. That movie had been sent to a male in Wales from the defendant's IP address, she said. As a result, Gardner of Christine Avenue, Rushwick, near Worcester, was identified and his mobile phone examined by police, where they discovered the 208 images. However, the court heard there was no evidence he was distributing images other than the one referred to. Miss O'Mara said Gardner was a lonely man whose parents had passed away and he chatted with other adults online. He received one image of an explicit nature. He said he liked it and then continued to download more, she said. Gardner told police that the other inaccessible images were sent to him without him requesting them and he deleted them. Miss O'Mara said the images involved dogs, horses and adult women. Gardner has one set of previous convictions for three offences of using threatening or abusive words or behaviour in public from the year 2000. Emily Hegedon for Gardner said he's a rather lonely man and rather reclusive. She told the court he worked as a self-employed gardener with a solid client base and a small circle of friends. He has recently started a relationship with a fellow Worcester City fan and that has been going well, she said. Gardner had not known possession of these types of images was a criminal offence and he equated it with adult pornography, Miss Hegarden told the court. However, she said he'd taken the offences very seriously. Gardner was also able to supply character references and his employers had taken the trouble to write in support of him because they had great esteem for him. He's not lost a single client despite despite him disclosing the offences, she said. Judge Robert Jukas, QC, said... I can well understand why you've been so worried about your court appearance today. It is, of course, humiliation for you. However, he said the case was strictly limited to simple possession of a relatively small, by the standards of such cases, number of images. The maximum sentence he could have imposed before credit for his guilty plea was a prison sentence of two years, but he said the case did not cross the custody threshold and it would be wrong in principle to pass a custodial sentence. I recognise that most people find this kind of pornography disgusting, he said, but the judge said such a case did not fall into the same bracket as indecent images of children. He sentenced Gardner to a 12-month community order with 12 rehabilitation activity requirement days. Judge Jukas told Gardner that since the offence, you have done everything you could to help yourself. Gardner was ordered to pay £425 costs and an £85 victim surcharge. The judge made an order that the mobile phone containing the images be destroyed. The court heard the images came to light following an investigation into indecent images of children by police in Wales, though no such images were found on any of Gardner's devices. Gardner was convicted of the offence at the magistrate's court on July the 18th. He declined to comment when contacted by the Worcester News. The group that Gardner ran was not connected to the Worcester City Supporters Trust and was predominantly for arranging travel to matches. And Thursday's headline, Forced to use a taxi, anger over plan to cut bus service. 
A care assistant says she will be forced to pay for taxi fares to get to work after First Bus said they would cut a service to her area. April Holmes from Tolodyne uses the 35 bus to get to work at Regent Residential Care Home in St John's. But the bus she uses to get home from work on Saturdays, the 8.40, will no longer run. This leaves her facing a £10 per trip taxi fare on top of the £20 she has already been paying to get to work and back on Sundays when no buses run to her area. Mrs Holmes, aged 57, said, What encouragement does it give you to work? From cutting down on buses, I am forced to use a taxi which costs me £10 each way. That's more than two hours' work. It's barely worth going to work. Mrs Holmes from Linden Road added, I feel angry. They need to consider the workers that need to be in work at a certain time of the day. They don't seem to care about people who work at the hospital or work in care. They should know that people in care have to work different hours, so they should have buses running at those times. I'm just annoyed. It's always the buses that I have to use for work that are being cut. We just want a decent bus service. First Group announced a cut as part of a wider reduction in services from October the 13th. However, the firm says it is only cutting services that aren't being heavily used. Councillor Richard Udall said residents had also contacted him about bus cuts in the Dines Green area. He said, Dines Green residents have told me they will have to give up work because of these cuts. Young people will not be able to go to the city centre at night for entertainment. It's really not good enough. He added, we need a comprehensive public transport system suitable for the needs of residents, one which is affordable, reliable and responsive to the needs of the passenger. A first spokesman said, we are withdrawing two lightly used Friday and Saturday only trips on Route 35. These journeys carried on average less than 10 passengers, which is too low to continue operating. Nigel Eggleton, Managing Director at First Worcester, said, The upcoming adjustments we are introducing to our Worcester bus network are to meet the changing travel patterns customers are taking on each individual service across the city. We realise that some of the changes we are introducing may not be welcomed by the small number of people that are using certain services at various times of the day, and they may cause some inconvenience. Our analysis generated from daily journeys taken by passengers across all our bus routes in Worcestershire clearly shows that the services, frequencies and timetables being introduced from 13th October will facilitate travel for the majority of people travelling by bus across the city. Mrs Holmes added, Me nor my husband drive, so I sometimes walk home if I'm on a late shift. I don't really want to walk through town at night on my own, though. I don't think it's safe. The 35 bus goes to Crowngate, Rainbow Hill, Brickfields Road, Langdale, Cranham Drive, Blackpool, and then back through town. Thank you. That uh, concludes the headline news stories. So we'll now go on to some general news. Laura, if you'd like to begin. Um, visit marks silver jubilee of twinning. Never mind Brexit, Worcester Twinning Association celebrated the 25th anniversary of its liaison with Le Vesine with a four-day visit to the leafy French town, which stands on a loop of the River Seine, 12 miles from the centre of Paris. It was back in 1994 that the French connection was formalised when Le Vesine's mayor joined a party of 12 of its leading citizens for a weekend in Worcester to attend the formal twinning ceremony in the Guildhall. Around 20 members of WTA made the return trip this summer. 
Their visit included a special 25th anniversary ceremony, which took place outside Le Vezinet's town hall. Worcester's deputy mayor, Joe Hodges, gave a speech in French and English and presented a gift to the mayor of Le Vezinet. In the afternoon, a fashion show was held in the town centre, followed by an Elgar concert. In the evening, there was a dîner en blanc, which took place by the town lake. Everyone dressed in white, and the atmosphere was enhanced by twinkling candles and lamps. This was followed by a fête de la Marguerite, when the parishes of Saint-Marguerite and Saint-Pauline invited everyone to an open-air mass on Sunday morning. On Monday morning, before boarding the coach for the homeward journey, the visiting party attended the start of Carol and Lyndon Bracewell's bike ride back to Worcester in aid of Alzheimer's and dementia charities. Councillor Hodges said Worcester Twinning Association would like to thank their dear friends in Le Vezinet for a fantastic 25th anniversary and the generous host families who looked after us so well. And this is a story about the <coughs> city run in Worcester. Thousands of people flocked to Worcester on Sunday the 15th of September for the city run. Around 4,300 runners took part in the Worcester City Half Marathon, 10K and Young Athletes Run, organised in a partnership between Worcester City Council and Events of the North. With the sun shining, course records were broken and the runners were cheered on by big crowds who lined the streets of Worcester. The winner of the men's half marathon was Omar Ahmad of Birchfield Harris in a time of 63 minutes and 29 seconds, breaking the course record by over six minutes, while the women's race was won by Julia Bilge of London Heathside in 8 minutes 14 seconds. In the 10K, the women's winner was Sophie Booth of the Black Pair Joggers in 37.54, while the men's race was won by Simon Birch of Hinkley Running Club in 32.03. In the Young Athletes Run for under-11s, Arlo Williams of Worcester AC was the first boy home in 7 minutes 04, while the first girl was Phoebe Martin in a time of 7.07. Gary Cooper of Coventry AC won the wheelchair half-marathon in 68.06, Ed Grazier of Cheltenham Harriers retained his title in the 10k wheelchair race in 32.25. Event founder Steve Cram said, We attracted yet another record field for this year's event and there was some fantastic running at the sharp end of each race. It's always exciting to see a course record being set and Omar's run in the half marathon was outstanding, particularly as he was on his own throughout the race. But just as brilliant was the sight of so many people raising money for charity and enjoying their runs around this beautiful city, yet again encouraged all the way by big crowds. And of course, none of this would be possible without the support of Worcester City Council, our headline sponsor, Air Products, and our army of volunteers. Athletes from many leading clubs took part, while hundreds of runners raised money for good causes, including the official charity partner, the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust. Right, and here's a story from yesterday, that is Wednesday, September the 18th. Dig uncovers pipe past. Archaeologists have unearthed a kiln buried in a park dating back hundreds of years. The exciting discovery was found as part of a dig to investigate Worcester's history, taking place at Cripplegate Park, which was the previous home of a clay pipe factory. The Russell Pipe Manufactory produced smoking pipes for more than 50 years at the site. 
Roger Moore, archaeologist, said, We've now opened a third trench since we started digging yesterday, that's Monday the 16th of September, and we found part of a kiln used to make the clay pipes for the people to smoke tobacco with. I undertook a research project in 2018, looking at the site and seeing if it was a suitable place to dig. A rotor of local archaeologists are helping out from North Worcestershire Archaeology Group and South Worcestershire Archaeology Group. Each day, we have between four and five on site, digging carefully away. <clears throat> At the moment, we're down to just under one metre into the soil and digging still further down to just over a metre, revealing the foundations. The kiln started production in 1818 and ceased in 1868. Unlike other pipe manufacturers in Bristol and other parts of the country, these pipes were made for smokers in Worcestershire to consume and were not exported. Pipes were made in the city at the time by at least three manufacturers, the largest of which was the Cripplegate Works. Sheena Payne Lunn, Historic Environment Record Officer at the Council, said, Worcester ceramics and glove-making industries are well known. Fewer people realise that our city was also a centre for pipe-making, attracting specialist pipe-makers from across the country. John Russell is believed to have built a row of 20 houses, the Russell Terrace, that extended into what is now Cripplegate Park, where many of the kiln's workers lived. The dig is taking place close to the children's play area and the Sons of Rest pavilion. Miss Payne Lunn added, This dig will help us rediscover a largely forgotten part of Worcester's history. Visitors will be able to watch the team in action during the week, between 10am and 3pm, and on Saturday, September the 21st, when they can see some of the team's finds and listen to talks. The headline to this longish story is Farewell War Hero Jim, and it's one of Mike Price's historical pieces. He helped defeat the Nazis in one of the most famous naval battles of the Second World War, but sadly, Jim London couldn't beat old father time and he has died just a few weeks short of his century. He was a young stoker on the British light cruiser HMS Exeter when it was one of the three ships sent to confront the pride of the German Navy, the pocket battleship Graf Spee, in what became known as the Battle of the River Plate. As a Royal Navy regular who had joined up in 1937, the sound of the guns was nothing new. He'd heard them often enough in practice. But to feel the ship shudder as the mighty shells of the Graf Spee smashed into Exeter's forward and middle sections was an altogether more unnerving experience. The combined firepower of Exeter and its sister cruisers Ajax and Achilles was dwarfed by the armament of the Graf Spee, which completely flaunted the restrictions placed on Germany by the Treaty of Versailles at the end of the First World War. Nevertheless, the order was given to hunt down the Spee, which had been causing havoc amongst British merchant shipping, and the three cruisers were given the job. They came across their quarry near the estuary of the River Plate off the coast of Uruguay and Argentina as dawn broke on December thirteenth, 1939. For 90 minutes, Exeter took a brutal pounding, then from the Graf Bay, then one of the most formidable fighting machines on the high seas. Shell upon shell rained down on the cruiser, but she returned shot for shot until only one of her guns could be fired, and that by hand. By 7.30 that morning, crippled and with nearly 70 of her officers and men killed, Exeter was forced to quit the fight. 
but her bravery in tackling the spray head-on had enabled the two smaller colleague ships to harry and hustle the battleship, and together the Ajax and Achilles pushed it into the neutral Montevideo harbour. Three days later, the spray emerged and in a grand gesture which astonished everyone, her commander, Hans Langsdorff, scuttled his ship. Meanwhile, Exeter limped through Christmas and the New Year to the haven of the Falklands, where it took six weeks to repair the damage. The cruiser eventually arrived back in Plymouth on February 16, 1940, to a hero's welcome, and Jim and his mates marched through London to a party at the Guild Hall. His son Graham said, Dad never considered himself a war hero. I once heard him tell someone who asked what it was like being on Exeter under such heavy fire, and he replied, I kept going because I didn't want to look scared in front of my mates and let anybody down. Born in Pembridge, Herefordshire, and the son of a merchant seaman, Jim lived in Morin Close, Clains, Worcester, for most of his life, and after the war had a career in electrical engineering. Following a fall, he moved to St. Stephen's Care Home a couple of years back and died in Worcestershire Royal. His wife, Margaret, died 20 years ago and he leaves two sons, Graham and Ray. Jim London's funeral will be at Worcester Crematorium at 2.30pm on October 2nd, followed by a gathering to celebrate his life at Clane's Royal British Legion Club at 4pm, when surviving members of the River Plate Veterans Association will be there. Uh, This article is about a new award for carers at Brompton House Care Home. The title is Amazing Grace Birthday Award. A care home has launched the Grace Jones Award in memory of the former oldest living person in Britain. Nicknamed Amazing Grace, Mrs Jones died at the age of 112 in June. Her family, friends and staff at Brompton House in Broadway were keen to remember the super centenarian nicknamed Amazing Grace, on what would have been her 113th birthday on Monday. A birthday party was held in memory of Mrs Jones at the care home, which had bunting, balloons and sparkles. Entertainment on the day included a performance from Grace's daughter, Deirdre McCarthy, who played a number of Grace's favourite songs on the piano. The main event was the launch of the Grace Jones Award, which is a new annual award for a carer who demonstrates love for life. It will be presented annually on September 16th to mark her birthday. Grace's daughter, Deirdre McCarthy, presented the award to the first ever winner, Holly Armstrong, the wellbeing coordinator at Brompton House. As part of the award, she received a cash prize and afternoon tea at Buckland Manor. Miss McCarthy said, It was a lovely party. They went to a lot of trouble. She made a big impact at Brompton House in the short time she was there. The Carers Award is a good way of remembering what my mother stood for. Zoe Miller, home manager at Brompton House, added, Grace was a truly amazing and inspiring lady who touched the lives of so many living and working at Brompton House. We were delighted to have launched the award to put a smile on people's faces. Pupils are enjoying a new school in Worcester. Reporter Grace Walton paid a visit to the city's new school, North Worcester Primary Academy, in John Comyn Drive, which was the former park and ride site in Purdeswell. She writes... It was a delightful visit and I was taken on a guided tour around the building by the assistant head, Emily Calvert. Miss Calvert said, I'm really excited by a creative and broad experience for children and giving them the opportunity to learn in their own way. I passionately believe in the environment and about being ecologically sound. We try and give them a stimulating environment. We've already started teaching phonics and sounds. 
that children are beginning to blend words and start to read. What we're trying to achieve is happy, rounded, healthy, forward-thinking children. It's clear Miss Calvert is passionate about her job, adding, I think it's important that children have the opportunity to learn and grow in the areas that excite them, to find that one magical thing. Our job as teachers is to give children a love of learning and a curiosity. There are 26 children in preschool and 53 in reception, with places still available for students in reception. During my visit, I met with the reception class who were reading Please, Mr Panda. The aim of the story is to teach students about manners and memorising a story. The children were enthusiastically contributing throughout the session as pictures were displayed on a story map for them to demonstrate the actions. The children will take home one reading and a storybook each week to boost their imagination. There are two forest schools which were built by help of the parents who came in to clear the area. Miss Calvert added, there were literally parents and grandparents on their hands and knees sawing off tree stumps. The idea of the forest school is to promote learning in a different way. The students will be able to do their art, writing and maths outside one afternoon a week. Sean Williams, executive head teacher, said, the children have settled in brilliantly and the parents have been very supportive. They've totally appreciated it's a brand new school. Despite that, children have been coming in, skipping into school. We've already had parents emailing asking if we've got places for next year. So word is that people are keen to join. We offer something here because of the fantastic resources. A school open day will take place on November the 30th from 9.30 to 12.30pm for potential students. Right. Well, this article um, gives us some, all some very good um, suggestions for vegetarian or vegan food in, in the county. Worcester News asked readers which place they would recommend visiting to try out either vegetarian or vegan food. This is what they said. Catherine Mulvey said, Firefly is one of the best places for vegan food I've tried. Their bargy burger is incredible and the atmosphere is nice too. Will Bradley said the Alma Tavern in Droitwich Road do great burgers. Award-winning beetroot, red pepper and quinoa burger in a vegan brioche bun. Doug Wharton added, Worcester's oldest vegetarian, vegan and gluten-free cafe, Charlie's in Sidbury. It's been that way since before it was all in vogue. Justin Lee recommends Wayland's Yard. He said, we eat here at least once a week. The veggie options on the menu are delicious. Dog-friendly, too. Tony Benjamin Bird said, The old rectifying house has had an extensive vegan menu for many years, which changes quarterly. Katie Warren said, Bluebell at Callowend, Gallery 36 in Malvern, Swan at Whittington, Singapore Chinese Restaurant in Worcester. Clint Morgan Webber said, Firefly Worcester for Middle Eastern and junk food vibes, all plant-based. A few readers voted for Be the Change in the Corn Market as their favourite vegan spot. Will Hodgett said, Be the Change, amazing food and even more amazing staff. It's a real community initiative, child-friendly, dog-friendly. They even used to give you 20p to use the bathroom across the road in the car park. Absolute salt of the earth. Lucy Campbell also said the eatery offers tasty food. She also recommended Chester's in New Street, adding it offers a superb range of vegetarian and vegan options. 
George Nermal said, Be the Change is my favourite in Worcester, hands down. I've always found the food to be amazing and there are great options whether you fancy going dirty or healthy. Also, the people who work there are lovely. Thank you. I feel hungry now. Vibrant City Still Strong. Leaders at Worcester BID, now BID stands for Business Improvement District. Leaders at Worcester BID say the city is bucking the national trend for the number of independent shops and is better than the regional average for empty units. Springboard's quarterly vacancy rate report for the UK shows that 10.5% of the ground floor units in Worcester are empty, compared with 11.2% for the West Midlands and 10.3% nationally. While 65.3% of Worcester's businesses are classed as independent, compared with 20.2% in the West Midlands and 36.4% in the UK. Phoebe Dawson, the chief executive of Worcester BID, which works to improve the city for traders, said, It is understandably a challenging time for high street retailers and businesses. However, we have much to celebrate in Worcester, not least our wonderful independent businesses, with Exchange and Smart, Anya Potza Fine Jewellery and Saffron's Bistro, all celebrating 25 years trading in the city centre. The diversity of our high street is what sets Worcester apart from other generic retail-based towns. We have charming independent businesses, recognised national retailers, a strong food and drink offering, and let's not forget our fabulous heritage as well. Worcester BID works with our businesses to encourage people to visit our city, and the results speak for themselves, with the city bucking the national footfall trend for yet another year and actually performing stronger than last year for over 60% of this year. Nobody is denying that the high street isn't changing, but it is evolving, not dying. Our city centre has been recognised as one of the best in the country. When judges from the Great British High Street Awards visited our city, they were impressed with the great mix of businesses and the general buzz across the city. Worcester BID works closely with city partners and our businesses to ensure that the city remains an economically vibrant place to do business. These comments follow a recent report which said Worcester was among the worst places in the country for shop closures in the past six months. In January, there was a total of 259 shops in the city centre, which by July had dropped to 255, with 10 stores closing and six opening, according to the local data company. Thank you. This piece is about a cancer patient's trek up the Scottish Highlands. A cancer patient who was on life support earlier this year has completed a trek known as Britain's Hardest Walk. Martin Wells, who has been living with incurable cancer since 2017, set off on the Cape Roth Trail from Fort William in the Scottish Highlands on August 31st to raise money for Macmillan Cancer Support. The 50-year-old from Worcester completed the challenge, which included dangerous thigh-high white water crossings and clambering up 150-foot cliffs on September 9th. The trek came just months after Mr Wells spent 16 days on life support and two weeks on oxygen in March, when he had an adverse reaction to immunotherapy and developed severe pneumonia that developed into sepsis. The father of two said, I was elated to complete such a difficult challenge, supported by my brilliant team. The weather was extreme and took care of any chance that we might complete the entire trail in 10 days, but what we completed in four days in Noidart was truly exceptional. It is a pleasure to bring awareness of the overall shortage in funding of cancer support in the United Kingdom, 
and to fundraise to enable more patients and their families to enjoy the great support that Macmillan Cancer Support provide to people, like me, under these difficult circumstances. Mr Wells was diagnosed with melanoma in March 2017 after he noticed a mole had started bleeding. He had six operations as the cancer spread around his body, including having his stomach removed in March 2018 after doctors found a cricket ball-sized tumour. Andrew Mayhew, a friend who joined the expedition, said, Martin has proven that having stage 4 cancer doesn't prevent you from experiencing excitement, adventure and really wild things. An inspiration to all. Well, we don't often read letters from the paper, but this one is partly uh, built around a bit of a story, and I think it's worth sharing. So the title of the letter is Oak Tree Still Going Strong. Sir, it was with great interest that I read your report of the Worcestershire Ambassador's planned trip to Gallivault, Belgium, next year. Many readers will perhaps recall my various articles published in your paper about the gallant action by the 2nd Battalion, the Worcestershire Regiment, on Saturday, October the 31st, 1914. Three years ago, I planted an oak tree in Gallivault Park, Worcester, at a ceremony held in memory of the soldiers who fought on that day. The sapling had been growing from an acorn that I picked up in Polygon Wood, just over a mile from Gallivault, from where the county men set off on that fateful day. I periodically check on the welfare of the tree and happy to relate that it's doing rather well, thanks to the care of the City Council's parks staff. Rather than being a major engagement, the action at Gallivault was actually a successful counter-attack during the First Battle of Ypres. Two hours prior to the attack, the ragged British line had been breached by overwhelming numbers and the channel ports lay wide open to the German forces. My great-uncle, Ernest Philpot, a second lieutenant in the Northamptonshire Regiment, was badly wounded at this stage of the battle. When I planted the tree, it was to mark his bravery and sacrifice, as well as that of his comrades in the Worcestershire's. Contrary to what an anonymous commenter wrote at the end of your story, this is not just old people looking back. It is rather about succeeding generations acknowledging the selfless devotion of a vastly outnumbered professional British army, the old contemptibles of legend, during the opening stages of the First World War. Their lasting legacy has been the peace, democracy and freedom that we all enjoy today. I would like to think in years to come, people will look at my oak and be reminded of just how much they owe to these courageous men. Thank you, Pippa. <clears throat> this, this story uh, has the title, Residents Ask MP for Kashmir Action. Worcester MP Robin Walker met with residents and the Muslim Welfare Association to discuss the issues in Kashmir. Last Friday, Mr Walker met with the Mayor of Worcester, Aladitta, and offered the public an opportunity to ask questions regarding their concerns over the state, which has been the subject of a dispute over control between India, Pakistan and China since 1947. India and Pakistan have been fighting over Kashmir since both countries gained their independence then. Between 2008 and 2018, over 4,000 people were killed in separatist violence, according to the Jammu and Kashmir Coalition of Civil Society, a human rights group. 
Basharat Ali, who has been a Worcester resident for eight years, said, I was only eight when my dad was killed by a sniper. I was the oldest in my family, and my youngest sister was only six weeks old. My father was shot dead in front of his mother when they were working in the fields in Kashmir. My family life was ruined by the Indian army. We couldn't get a proper education. There were so many things we couldn't do. There's no freedom. Mr Ali added, I took my four children to Kashmir to show them where I grew up. We were stuck there for weeks. There were bombings and I couldn't see my old home. We want to raise our concerns, being a British citizen, so that the government can put pressure on India to stop these things happening and give people basic rights. Mr Walker said... We've taken up suggestions of the human rights violations, but what we need is the evidence and the proof to take those up further. We need the individual cases and the links to the people living in the UK to then give us the rights to take these up on behalf of our own citizens. After the meeting, Councillor Ditter said residents were not entirely satisfied with Mr Walker's answers. There's quite a large community of Kashmiri-orientated people in the area. They have their relations in the Indian-occupied Kashmir. I'm grateful for Robin to have come and given a bit of an insight. I'm not sure he has pleased the audience. The only voice they have is the MP. There's a limit on what we can do as local councillors, but I'm trying to raise their voice with our MP. Councillor Jabba Riaz said... The reports coming out are not good. There's constant harassment, sexual abuse, cases of rape and injury. Children aren't able to go to school and they live in fear. It's a really dangerous situation for Kashmiri people. It's extremely worrying. There's a total media blackout. We urge the British government and other regimes across the world to condemn in the strongest possible way the Indian government for what they've done and prevent any massacres that may go on. That's our passion and our plea. People from Worcester have direct relatives there, and they're extremely worried. It's a seriously depressing time for them. City Councillor Mohammed Altaf, who represents Gorse Hill Ward, said, I've had a lot of people come to me to see me who are from Kashmir. There's a great concern because people in the UK don't realise there are more people in Britain who are from Kashmir than from India. Many people have concerns because they're from Kashmir. What's going on there is completely out of order. We need to act fast on human rights. And the MP must understand there's a big concern because there are so many people in Worcester from Kashmir. The meeting was held on Friday, September the 13th at Unity House Youth and Community Hub in Stanley Road. This story is uh, entitled Kids Centre Broken Into. Cash has been stolen from a children's activity centre after thieves broke in. Cheeky Monkey's Play Centre in Orchard Street provides activities for children up to 11 years old. It's not known how much cash was taken. Posting on the centre's Facebook page, Richard Fletcher, 40, owner and manager, said, Unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond our control, we will be closed today, by which he meant Sunday. Last night, by which he meant Saturday, we were broken into and the people responsible have made one hell of a mess of my play centre. If anyone has got any information, please get in touch. Mr Fletcher, however, declined to comment further when the Worcester News visited yesterday. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, We were called at around 9.38 on Sunday 15th September to reports of a suspected burglary that had occurred overnight at a business in Orchard Street, Worcester. 
An investigation is currently ongoing, but we are appealing for information from members of the community that may have seen someone acting suspiciously in the area. Members of the Cheeky Monkeys Facebook page commented on the raid. Charlotte Blundell said, What low lives to break into a kid's play centre. I hope they catch them. Shakayla Bailey said, Oh gosh, that's awful. I'm so sorry to hear this. I hope you get everything sorted soon. Zoe Perry added, So sorry to hear this. There are some horrible people out there. Lottie Marston said, I hope you can get it sorted soon and that they haven't caused too much damage. Responding to more than a 100 comments, Mr Fletcher said, It's the worst thing I have ever had to do since opening, telling families that I have had to cancel their party. Anyone with information can call police on the non-emergency number of 101, quoting incident 179S150919. This story has the title Concern Over Addictive Pills. Tens of thousands of adults in South Worcestershire were prescribed highly addictive opioid painkillers last year, a new report reveals. Health Secretary Matt Hancock has said the country is in the grip of an over-medication crisis and pledged to take immediate steps to address the issue. Public Health England figures show that 30,965 adults in the South Worcestershire Clinical Commissioning Group area received at least one prescription for opioid painkillers in in 2017 to 18, 13% of the adult population. Almost half the residents on a prescription for the drugs during March last year had been taking them for a year or more, the study found. The figures exclude people who were prescribed opioid painkillers for cancer pain. Mr Hancock said he was incredibly concerned by the findings of the review, which found that 5.6 million people across England were prescribed opioids in 2017-18. to He said, The disturbing findings of the report especially that one in eight adults are taking super-strength addictive opioid painkillers, many for extended periods of time, prove to me that we are in the grip of an over-medication crisis. What is equally alarming is that in many cases, these medicines are unlikely to be working effectively due to overuse. I refuse to let this escalate to the level seen in the United States. To be clear, the entire healthcare system will now be involved in making sure we put an end to this once and for all. Opioids are known to be ineffective for most people over the long term, but many patients struggle to come off the drugs. Although although PHE was unable to put a figure on how many people were addicted to the painkillers, it said patients must be warned via a national helpline about dependency risks and receive advice on coping with withdrawal. The review also examined prescribing rates for antidepressants, anti-anxiety drugs and sleeping pills. In South Worcestershire, 42,730 people received a prescription for antidepressants in 2017-18. That's 17% of the adult population. A couple are celebrating their diamond wedding anniversary after meeting first of all at a village get-together. For Peter and Marguerite Stevens, it was love at first sight when he asked her for a dance at Yarnton Village Hall in Oxfordshire. Mrs Stevens, 82, said... I was about to go home with my friend as the dance was quiet with not many people having turned up. When Peter walked in and asked me to dance, I said yes, although it was a bit dark and I couldn't see him very well. Within five weeks of meeting, Peter said we'd have to wait at least four years to get married, but we decided to get married after just over a year. They've lived in Worcester since 1964, 
moving so Mr Stevens could take up work as a surveyor for Worcestershire County Council. Mrs Stevens added, The secret to a happy marriage is that you have to be adaptable to be able to cope with things. Mr Stevens, 85, joked, The secret is doing what my wife tells me. Mrs Stevens added, When Peter qualified as a first-class cricket umpire early into our marriage, travelling around the country to matches, that was tough. A family get-together is taking place today in Hay-on-Wye at a rented house with all but one of their extended family being there. Neither of them will let on what presents they will exchange with each other. The Queen even sent her congratulations in a card, wishing them well. The pair have no plans of slowing down. Mrs Stevens runs a mobility class at St John's Library and Mr Stevens still loves to get out on the field for part of a match for the Fossils Cricket Club. Congratulations to you both. Yes, congratulations. And here's another item which is about positive ageing. Older people will be invited to a week-long event which aims to tackle the views associated with ageing. Activities such as walking football, pilates, circuit training and bowls will be on offer at the Active Ageing Week. The event is a partnership between the University of Worcester and the International Council on Active Ageing. The initiative highlights positive ageing in all aspects of life, including physical, social, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, vocational and environmental. It promotes the benefits of physical activity and gives examples of how people can be more active in the local community. This year's theme is Active at Any Age and will run from October the 1st to October the 7th. There will be free workshops, public talks and physical activity taster sessions. Among the options for people to try out is an introduction to walking, orienteering, a supervised gym session and seated exercise. Along these are fitness and diet checks. Sports Partnership Herefordshire and Worcester will be sponsoring the event for the second time. Two public talks focus on challenging the negative aspects of ageing. Tom Howard from the Sports Partnership Herefordshire and Worcestershire will launch the My Age Can campaign with a talk at the Hive on October the 1st, starting at 1pm. Dr Maggie Keeble from Integrated Care for Older Persons, Worcestershire, will deliver a talk on negative to positive, changing the image of ageing at the Hive on October the 2nd, starting at 12 noon. Worcester was the first place in the UK to host an active ageing week last year. Worcester's Hop Market will be hosting its first ever hop festival later this month. The retail space on the foregate will celebrate all things hops on Saturday, September the 21st. The day, running from 10.30 until 5.30, will include an art exhibition in the old tailor's shop on the corner of the hop market in the foregate. This exhibition will represent works by artists who gather their inspiration from the natural world, agriculture and rural life. There will also be an opportunity for both local and national poets to perform their works, hosted by Worcester poet Susie Winspear, a former Worcestershire Poet Laureate. Visitors can also visit a poetry and spoken word bookshop at the event. A hop-based cocktail bar will be run by Alex Pope and his team from the Paul Pry pub, where a mixologist will be sharing some special secrets with visitors in half-hour demo sessions. Nigel Smith from the Cardinal's Hat will be offering visitors a variety of ales. 
Hop merchant Charles Farham will produce and will present, I beg your pardon, will present a Know Your Hops session covering six different hop varieties and curators from museums Worcestershire will be on hand to illustrate local hop growing, brewing and pubs around Worcester. There will also be images of artworks from the museum's collection, including Hop Fields Under Snow by Mary Joyce Austin and Scenes from a Hop Growing Year by John Kent. There will also be a range of historic photographs on show, including Worcestershire hop pickers working in the fields, connecting the museum's collections with the history of the hop market. Children from the River School will be designing posters to accompany a hop-related fun facts quiz on the day. Bill Simpson, trustee at the Hop Market Charitable Trust, said, We are absolutely delighted to be hosting our first ever hop festival. The courtyard has a rich hop history with an amazing 50,000 pockets of hops being sold to dealers every year. Such was its importance that, outside London, it was the only authorised hop market in the country in the year 1796. Our event will pay homage to the humble hop, offering a modern-day twist and a plentiful supply of art and culture. We look forward to welcoming you. The hop market has been a place to do business since 1731 when dealers came to trade hops. Um, This article is about Worcester's Pride Parade that will be taking place on Saturday and the fact that the Scouts will be attending. Scouts will show support at Pride. The Scouts will be attending this year's Pride to show their support towards the LGBT community. Scouts are set to support Worcester Pride for the first time. The parade is taking place in the city on Saturday, September 21st. Robert Sidley, otherwise known as Sid, is the County Commissioner for Pride within Scouts, Hereford and Worcester. Mr Sidley, aged 39, said, Pride is a big event now. For us, this is about celebrating diversity and demonstrating to everyone how inclusive we are. We feel it's important to support and embrace all of our members, and we thought Pride is an ideal way of doing that. The group takes in individuals from the age of 6 years old to 18. 40 members from Scouts within the county will be at the event with 15 members, aged between 6 and 17, volunteering their time. Phil Lacey, Assistant County Commissioner for Pride, said, Attending Pride is a way of building a more inclusive society and demonstrating that we welcome LGBT members. The issue is knowing at a young age where you can turn to for support. The idea is to get that message out there and encourage people to be themselves and join us. Mr Lacey, aged 35, added, Scouts can be stereotyped, and everyone seems to think we don't accept girls. I am not your typical scout, but everyone is welcome here, and we want to include the LGBT community. I've been going to Pride all over the country since I was 16. It's all about having a good day out, meeting new people, and and hanging out with your friends. Pride will be returning to Worcester for its third year, and will be celebrating the birth of the LGBT liberation movement following the riots of 1969 in New York. Members will parade through the streets, starting at the fountains in Deansway, leading up to Broad Street, High Street, Pump Street and onto New Street and into the Corn Market, where the main event will be held at 12.30pm. Well, that concludes the general news stories for this week and we'll just do a few sports stories from the papers and I'm going to begin with some information about cricket. So to start with Ombersley were crowned Birmingham League Premier Division 2 champions to return to the top flight at the first time of asking. The villagers fielded a strong side against Wolverhampton with five players who've played for Worcestershire this season. 
Their attack, which included former county ace Gareth Andrew, who took his total wickets for the season to 46, kept a tight rein on Wolverhampton. It needed an unbeaten 46 from Will Neild to take the Black Country side to 174 for seven at the end of the 50 overs. An opening stand of 77 between Liam Gwynn and Jack Haynes set Ombersley on their way. Then 38 from Josh Dell continued to take the game to the hosts before Ross Whiteley, 26 not out, and Brett Dolivera, 22 not out, saw them to the title. They will be joined in Premier Division 1 by Leamington Spa, who crushed relegated Tamworth by nine wickets, while Harborne missed out with a three-wicket loss to Oswestry. But in a separate division, so this is now Worcestershire League Division, Bromyard secured the three points required to clinch the Worcestershire League Division 1 title, despite a 48-run defeat at Worcester Nomads. Ben Schiffman took six for 17 from 15 overs for second from bottom nomads who are set to be relegated as Bromyard was skittled out for 115. Nomads managed 163 all out. Long-time leaders Colwell had to settle for the runners-up spot after beating Pedmore by five wickets and Droitwich Spa continued their end-of-season revival by beating Cookley by four wickets. Division 2 champions Ombersley beat Enville by eight wickets to remain unbeaten throughout the season. That's obviously a different league. And Barnard's Green second secured promotion from Division 3 after beating Rushwick by 136 runs. Worcester Canoe Club's Helen Russell claimed the British Quadrathlon Race Series title for the third year in a row after a win at the Shrewsbury event. The series consisted of five races over the season, with the best three counting towards the crown. Russell of Evesham had already scored maximum points at Dean Valley and Box End in June, before the Shrewsbury success confirmed the title. The sprint format saw the athletes swim, swim 500 metres and kayak 4.2 kilometres in the River Severn, cycle 23 kilometres before finally running 5 kilometres. Russell clocked 1 hour 40 minutes 35 seconds ahead of Froome's Jacqueline Davis, who did it in 1.44.01. She said, It's a great feeling to take the series title for the third year in a row and I'm really grateful to everyone that's supported me over the last three years. Russell also won the British Championship overall in 2019 and the World Championship in her age group. Well done. Indeed. Rugby union now. Warriors boss gives his take on the World Cup. New Zealand, South Africa and England top the list of would-be Rugby World Cup winners, according to Warriors Chief Alan Solomons. The All Blacks stand out as able to have one last hurrah, with the Springboks and England possessing the power and pace to go all the way in Japan, where the tournament kicks off. But Solomons also anticipates this being a close call, with any slips in the pool stage likely to be punished, and a range of other nations ready to pounce. You never know, but for me it would be one of England, South Africa and New Zealand, he said. New Zealand's quality really speaks for itself. They have a well-balanced team and go into the tournament with a lot of confidence. They have a lot of very good players and have pretty much been the number one side for a while. Rassi Erasmus, the head coach, has done a great job with South Africa. I think he's got the selections right and has prepared the side very well. 
They have some real power up front and good halfbacks. They have Faf de Klerk and Kobus Ryanach, and we know from the Premiership, and sorry, who we know from the Premiership, and Herschel Yantiges, a really good backup, and Handry Pollard as well. As well as having the 9 and 10, they have reasonably dangerous outside backs in Willie LaRue, Cheslin Colby, Makazoli Mumpipi, and they have plenty of gas and the power. Similarly, I think England have the power up front and the half-backs, particularly Owen Farrell or George Ford, either of whom can control the game. Like South Africa, England have fantastic pace out wide. You look at guys like Anthony Watson, Joe Kokonasiga, Elliot Daly, Johnny May. There is plenty of speed there, and there is a bit of power in the middle with Manu Tuilagi now back. I think those three have the power and ability to manage the game well, as well as the strike power. If New Zealand's experienced players are able to give it one last go, and I'm sure they will do that, they have a very good side, but it's difficult to call. Once you get into a knockout situation, there are one-off ties, and there will be certain key matches in each pool that decide who you end up playing later on. The good thing about this World Cup is having so many good sides. I'm not discounting Ireland, Wales and and Australia because they're good sides. Argentina and France can do damage on their day too, so I think it is going to be one of the most competitive of tournaments. Particularly once you get into the playoffs, there will be key moments and the sides with the staying power will relish it. They will absolutely love being involved. Like all big games, they will turn on certain moments. This story is about netball and its title is Welsh Influence. Three Welsh internationals will be in the seven-star squad for the 2019-2020 season. New additions Nia Jones, 27, and Bethan Dyke, 24, join goalshooter Georgia Rowe, who was signed for another campaign. Defender Jones has 36 caps for Wales and played for her national youth teams since the age of 15. She helped Wales to senior netball Europe gold in 2013 and represented her country at the 2014 and 2018 Commonwealth Games. Mid-quarter Dyke has 43 caps and also represented them at the two Commonwealth Games and the 2015 Netball World Cup. They have both arrived from Celtic Dragons. Rowe, 24, who has 33 caps for Wales, enjoyed her debut season with Stars last year with a consistently high shooting percentage. Stars head coach Melissa Bessel said, Working alongside these three again is a dream for me. I know them all very well and what they are capable of. Georgia has been performing well and I'm looking forward to pushing her and watching her develop more in the shooting circle. Nia has to be one of the most passionate netballers I have had the pleasure of working with. Bethan is going to be one to watch this season. Well, that concludes the sport for this week. and We're nearly through our edition. I would just like to, first of all, give you details of the sunrise and sunset times. The sunrise for tomorrow is 6.50 a.m., and the sun sets at 7.14 p.m. We have one birthday to celebrate, and that is Charles Longstone on the 30th of September. So advanced happy birthday wishes to you, Charles, from the team here. And last but not least, I have the thought for the day, which is <clears throat> from Psalm 36, verses 7 to 9. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. 
For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. So, as you may now know, the obituaries will follow on at the end of the recording after the music. And that does bring us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank tonight's readers, Catherine, Phil and Laura, and our production team, particularly to John Plush, who's, as ever, on the other side of the glass, putting it all together. Thank you. And I'd just like to finish by saying goodbye. It's goodbye from John, who's waving, and the team members. Goodbye from me, Catherine. And me, Phil. And me, Laura. And me, Pippa. Robert John Fletcher, known as Bob, passed away peacefully in hospital in Somerset on August the 28th, 2019. His, his funeral has already taken place. Elizabeth Grayson, known as Eileen, we don't have a date for her death, but the family say it is with deep sadness that we announce the passing of Eileen. A funeral service will take place on Monday, September the 30th at 2pm at the Vale Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, can go to Dementia UK using donation box provided or sent to AV Band, St John's, 1 Malvern Road, Worcester, WR24LE. Barry Richard Peterson passed away suddenly but peacefully on August the 25th, 2019. A funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, September the 24th at 11.30am. Flowers welcome and donations if desired to help the heroes may be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR11UW. Leonard Saunders, known as Len, passed away peacefully on August 25th, 2019. A service will be held on Friday, September the 20th at St Mark's Church, Orchard Street at 1.30pm, followed by a committal at 2.30pm at Astwood Cemetery. Flowers welcome, or donations if desired, to the Scouts Association. Brenda Chamberlain passed away peacefully on September the 12th, 2019. The funeral service will take place on Friday, September the 27th at St Peter's Church, Bushley, at 2pm. Donations, if desired, for the Midlands Air Ambulance and Bushley Church, care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors, Hanley Road, Upton upon Seven. Hilda Irene Ratcliffe passed away peacefully on August the 28th, 2019. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium Chapel on Thursday, September the 26th at 1.45pm, followed by interment at Astwood Cemetery. Flowers or donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. And James Hefford, known as Jim, passed away peacefully on August the 30th. 
Funeral service will be at St Stephen's Church on Friday, September 20th at 12.15. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Queen Elizabeth Hospital Kidney Patients Association may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Jean Jessie Adelaide Bayliss passed away on August 24th. A funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, September 25th at 10.45. Family flowers only, please. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care, telephone Worcester, double two one three seven. Paul Chandler sadly passed away on September the 5th. Funeral service to take place at Redditch Crematorium on Tuesday, October the 8th at 1.15pm. Please wear bright colours. Family flowers only, donations if desired, to St Richard's Hospice. Jill Margaret Crease passed away peacefully on September the 7th. A funeral service will be held on Wednesday, September the 25th at 10am at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations can be made to St Richard's Hospice, care of A.V. Band, St John's. Raymond James Cross passed away on September the 5th. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, September the 25th at 1.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Acorn Children's Hospice Trust may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Margaret Sparks passed away on August 27th. The funeral service will take place on Wednesday, September 25th at 12.15 at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, to PDSA can be left on the donation plate at the crematorium or sent to Jackson Family Funeral Directors, 5456 Barbourne Road, Worcester, WR1 1JA.